Yeah, Bruce, is that you? Yeah. Who is this? Never mind about that. What time is it? It's about, um, well, I think it's about 4.30 in the morning. Well, why are you calling? I wanted to remind you that tonight on the Bruce Collins Show, we have a very special guest, Jeffrey Messenger, talking about his paranormal research, as well as the Chad Miles report. I, I already know that. I'm the host of the Bruce Collins Show. Well, so am I, and I wanted to remind you. Okay, okay, I get it. I appreciate you calling and reminding me of that. Wait a minute. How am I calling myself? <laughs> the Bruce Collins Show. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. The new theater of the mind. With the Baron of Broadcasting. Bruce Collins Show. Jumped out of bed and I ran outside. Feeling so extra ecstatic. It's the best day ever. Featuring Bruce Collins and the Chad Miles Report. of Survivor Seeds and Survivor Books comes Survivor Escape Planet filled with helium this three foot diameter beach ball painted like another earth can glide two feet above the planet and it can be your escape planet if the worst 
should happen. Survivor products. Because you never know what's going to happen. Brought to you by Greedy Profit Motives International. Are we going up the stairs or are we going down the stairs? Don't trust the pictures on the wall. They're an optical illusion. Welcome to the Bruce Collins Show late Saturday night. The Bruce Collins Show also takes on the acronym TBCS, which is also the acronym for tuberculosis, or so I've been told. Speaking of going viral, joining us right now is Chad the Odometer Miles with the Chad Miles Report. Hey, Chad, how are you doing? Hey, Bruce, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. That's my radio voice, by the way. That sounds excellent. <laughs> That's my radio Thanks. laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. What do you have for us this week, Chad? Well, Bruce, I took a week off and uh, kind of gathered my thoughts, and uh, I think I have some pretty good material for the show this week. As long as it's not First, polyester. It, it's rayon. Excellent. First off, Nazis were given safe haven in the United States. Now, this is nothing new to conspiracy theorists like you and me, Bruce, because we know about Operation Paperclip and the German scientists who were brought over after World War II to the United States to work on the rocket programs that would eventually turn into the uh, NASA space projects of uh, Gemini and Apollo. But apparently a 600-page report, which the Justice Department was trying to keep secret, and they've been fighting to keep this report secret for four years, um, apparently they lost. And this report is now available to the public, and um, it shows that Operation Paperclip was really it looks like only the tip of the iceberg. And I have to admit, I haven't read the report, but I have a story in front of me that talks about it a little bit. And one of the kind of creepy sections of this article talks about the uh, government's uh, pursuit of Dr. Joseph Mengele, who was the angel of death at the Auschwitz concentration camp. And apparently in the sort of in the pursuit of Joseph Mengele, a scalp was part of his scalp was taken and kept at somebody in the Justice Department's desk drawer. Um, like I said, I haven't read the article or the, um, I'm sorry, I haven't read the report yet, but if, uh, you know, that's part of it, it, this must be a, just a crazy, crazy report. Now, one of the, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, I know you're familiar with Operation Paperclip, but one of the requirements for Operation Paperclip was that the scientists who were brought back to the United States from Nazi Germany were not supposed to be outright Nazis, I guess is a, is a way of putting it. Um, but apparently sergeant, this, this report the, uh, kind of outlines that that they, was true, that these were uh, Weren't they the Sergeant Schultz kind? The <laughs> Colonel Klink. Um, <laughs> but apparently these were Nazi Nazis, and there are some, there are some other um, details of this uh, report that um, shows that the Central Intelligence Agency um, was neck deep in Nazis after World War II, using them for uh, intelligence purposes. 
I think that's where so, the saying came, uh, more fun than a barrel of Nazis. Yeah, apparently that's what the CIA thinks. So there you have it. Not really a big surprise for most of us who follow things like this, but it's it's disappointing. At least I think it's disappointing to see that we were uh, collaborating or giving safe haven and uh, using Nazis like to this degree. This I think this goes a little farther than what uh, what was believed uh, to be the case in the past. Hmm. Okay, moving on. A New York congresswoman has claimed that there is a 100% chance of a cyber attack against the United States power grid. Um, Representative Yvette Clark from New York um, has announced, she announced this, and she was uh, speaking before the SC World Congress Data Security Expo. And uh, she says that there is a 100% chance of a cyber attack against our power grid. She said, quote, our networks are already being penetrated as we stand here, end of quote. She actually said that at the conference. Now, what makes this so interesting, not only is she a sitting congresswoman, but she is the chair of the Emerging Threats Cybersecurity Science and Technology Subcommittee in the United States House of Representatives. So what does she know that we don't know is what I'm asking. I think that she might be onto something. I once saw a documentary with Matthew Broderick, and he did it. <laughs> that was a good movie. That's a good radio laugh. Okay, save your, save your big radio laugh for this story, Bruce. Okay, it appears that a top aide to Sarah Palin is also on George Soros's payroll. <gasps> Gasp. Really? Yes, people. I've been saying this for years, that there's really not that much difference between the Republicans and the Democrats when you get up at the top levels. And this kind of validates what I've been saying. Okay, this is a Republican, well, quote-unquote Republican lobbyist named Randy uh, Schooneman, and he is Sarah Palin's foreign policy advisor. Wait, his last name is Schooneman? Shuneman. Shuneman. Okay, thank you. S-C-H-E-U-N-E-M-A-N-N. I may be mispronouncing that, and I apologize to uh, to Randy if I am indeed mispronouncing his Mr. name. Mr. Shuneman. Shuneman. Um, he owns a D.C. consulting firm called Orion Strategies, uh, which is kind of interesting, Orion, and if you link that to some occult things, but I won't go. That's a whole other uh, Chad Miles report. I think that's but his show. group, Orion Strategies, uh, since 2003, has been paid over $150,000 by one of George Soros' organizations for, for some lobbying work that his uh, company has done. And I've talked about George Soros in previous uh, shows and about the Secretary of State Project and some other things. This is another thing that George Soros is involved in, and this is called the Open Society Policy Center. And uh, apparently this is an organ this open policy, open society policy center is focused on uh, the country of Burma and uh, trying to, quote unquote, restore political rights and democracy in Burma. Um, So that's what so this this guy is involved with Sarah Palin as her foreign policy advisor, but he's also doing work for George Soros. Hmm. So 
there you have it, folks. Now, here's another interesting tidbit. Apparently, Glenn Beck did some kind of a three-day expose on George Soros, I guess. I don't know. I don't watch Glenn Beck, to be totally honest with you. But um, apparently, during his three-day uh, expose, this didn't get mentioned at all <laughs> in the three day. That this group may have been mentioned, but it, the, the connection back to Sarah Palin wasn't mentioned. So there you have it, folks. Take it for what it's worth. And, and we, if we have time, I have one more just quick thing, Bruce. As I like to say, we always have time for Chad Miles and the Chad Miles Report. Great. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Apparently, an enormous scandal is brewing within the White House. Um, Which I don't one? Know what it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know uh, what it's about, but I'm reading on the internet through some sources that this is Watergate level or possibly larger than Watergate level scandal. Um, and apparently many Democrats are starting to um, kind of break away from Barack Obama and separate themselves from Barack Obama. So they won't get caught up in this scandal. I don't know what it is, like I said, but apparently this is huge. So this is just something to, uh, to keep your eyes open for. And this source uh, says that the source is talking. It's not like I have a secret source. This is something I'm reading. Some, this is somebody else's secret source I'm reading about on the internet. But apparently this source says that um, he would not be surprised if Barack Obama didn't survive until the 20, didn't politically survive. Don't, I'm not saying he's going to be assassinated. He might not politically survive until the 2012 uh, election. Hmm. Wow. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. I don't know what, I don't know the details of that yet, but apparently it's something is on the horizon. Hmm. That's not, and I want to keep your listeners informed. That's not the last, uh, the first time I've heard that. I actually heard something on Drudge last week about uh, people postulating or speculating that uh, Obama would be a one term president. Yeah, there's been in the past, um, even before the midterm election, there were a lot of just little things here and there that kept cropping up. And um, maybe those were just some some indicators of this this uh, scandal. This source says that um, the Democrats know what it is. This source says that, interestingly enough, the large news organizations know what it is, but they're trying to avoid, almost like the Monica Lewinsky thing, you the I think Newsweek had the story and they spiked it. Um, that's this is supposedly this is a similar situation where they have the story, but they're not they're not running with it, and they'll probably wait until somebody like Drudge or somebody gets a hold of it and breaks it, and then they'll be forced to report on it. But I think they're trying to play their cards close to their vest right now. Huh, interesting, you know, and just when I think that the American society has given up and um, socialism has crept into this country in a way that it's taking over without people so much as lifting a finger. I'm, I'm very pleased by the outcry right now about these body scanners at the airports. I don't know how this thing is going to end, but it's, uh, it's heartening to see people standing up for their rights and uh, 
not wanting to be sexually assaulted at the airport. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm with you. I'm glad that, that people are taking a stand against this. And I, you know, I, quite frankly, I think it's overdue. I think that people should have been complaining about this uh, long before now. And I'm not sure what, what ha- I haven't flown in, in a few years, so I don't know if the security uh, pat-downs have changed or gotten more aggressive. Or I don't know. I'm not sure. Or if it's this body scanner technology. I don't know what. Something kicked it off, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's been escalated to the level that it is. Unbelievable. Hard to believe in the United States that we would have this type of uh, interrogation going on at the airport. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. Hey, Chad, and we should remind people out there that your website is HearkenTheWatchman.com. That's H-E-A-R-K-E-N, HearkenTheWatchman.com. HearkenTheWatchman.com. And if you have a tip, you can email me at Chad at ChadMiles.com. And I just want to, real quick, I want to tell your listeners I'm working on a secret project right now that that will be revealed in the coming uh, Chad Miles reports. So stay tuned it's going to be really cool. That's Chad Miles, everybody. And up next is Jeffrey Messenger with Shekinah Paranormal, and he'll be talking about his paranormal research. We'll be right back. going to be talking about some very controversial bone-chilling subject matter tonight, but I would encourage people to know and understand that the beings we are dealing with tonight are subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. So if any of you out there do not believe in Jesus Christ, this program is for you because we're going to take a glimpse into the paranormal tonight with actual recordings of spirit beings. Again, I want to emphasize this about the paranormal, good or bad, 
I believe all of these beings are under the authority of Jesus Christ, and those who believe in Jesus Christ should not be overcome with a spirit of fear because we know who is in charge and who has the final say. Having said that, my guest tonight is Jeffrey J. Messenger. Jeffrey is the author of The Shroud of Torrington, a supernatural thriller combining real-life Shroud of Turin research with religious demonology. This novel was awarded an Editor's Choice ranking by publisher iUniverse and went on to receive a positive review from Kirkus Discoveries. Jeff is also a paranormal investigator, active with several groups across Connecticut. Jeff founded his own group, Shekinah Paranormal Investigations, in 2006 and plans to incorporate his real-life experiences into future books, both fiction and nonfiction. Jeff's group can be found at www.shekinah, that's S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, shekinahparanormal.com. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. And, and uh, by the way, uh, Messenger is really your last name. Yes. Wow, that's it's awesome. not a pen name. <laughs> that's great. Now, before we get into your paranormal research, tell us about the book you've written and where people can order it. Yes, my book. Around the time I was considering writing the novel, uh, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code was breaking all sales records. Mm -hmm. The Da Vinci Code, as most people out there probably know, is a fiction mostly based on uh, some hypotheses put forward in a book from the 1980s called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Uh, frankly, even non-Christian scholars considered the Holy Blood, Holy Grail conspiracy theory rather weak. The assertion that Jesus of Nazareth sired his secret bloodline, it's, it's very foolish at its core. Uh, my interest in writing my book was taking a more mainstream Christian approach to fiction and real-life mysteries, very much the same way Dan Brown did. So I chose two real-life fascinations of mine, the Shroud of Turin and religious demonology, and I wove them into my novel. Hmm. to uh, incorporate that reality into the fiction. Shroud of Turn is very interesting. Uh, what's, what's your t I know Lynn Marzulli, who's a kind of a ufologist um, from a Christian perspective, thinks that the Shroud of Turin is, is actually authentic. It's an authentic uh, artifact, I guess you could say. What do you think about that? Do you think the Shroud of Turin is, is real? Yes, I do. Hmm. I was first interested in the Shroud as an uh, art student. Hmm. Uh, my degree is in art, of fine arts. I graduated from UConn back in the 80s. And when you look at the picture on this ancient linen, the first thing that strikes you is there's just no way this fits in any artistic motif of the past. Hmm. Uh, there's no way... Well, current skeptics say it dates to the 1300s. There's nothing in the 1300s that even rivals this image. It's just totally unparalleled. When I started reading information about it, I learned that the image itself is actually a dehydration into the linen fibers, a dehydration that penetrates no more than like one tiny fibril into the, uh, into the cloth itself. So, you know, that's, that's pretty hard to explain. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jeffrey, we're going to be in a little bit playing some audio clips that are, are very 
I guess you could say chilling. Um, I have seen people who were possessed before, uh, which that was chilling in and of itself. Um, how, mm. how did you get involved, though, in paranormal investigation? Well, paranormal investigation actually came after I decided to write my book. I wanted to uh, see the reality for myself, to experience these things and uh, and witness for myself what I've been reading in books through the years. Uh, now that I'm middle-aged, I guess I have the, uh, the courage or the foolhardiness to uh, go out there and see and hear what other people have reported. I met a lay religious demonologist back in 2004 by the name of David Considine. I took several classes with him uh, about paranormal research, mm -hmm. and soon I was invited to belong to his group and uh, come along on investigations and actually witness some traditional Catholic exorcism. Now, that's interesting. You started your paranormal uh, investigating older in life, and I'm b working on my radio career older in life. Now, tell me, tell me about the organization uh, that you founded, Shekinah Paranormal, and, and also, well, I already gave out the web address, actually, so why don't you tell us about Shekinah Paranormal? It's at ShekinahParanormal.com. Again, that's S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, ShekinahParanormal.com. Tell us about this organization. Yes, my group, I like to call it SPY for short. It's uh, <laughs> less of a tongue twister. It's a large group consisting of many friends and family members. Uh, we're a diverse group. We all had differing beliefs and attitudes, but we all conduct ourselves with extreme caution. Mm -hmm. With us, there's absolutely no use of oracle devices, no provoking, and no challenging of spirits. Our goal is to comfort the clients, provide them with evidence, and to uh, guide them to faith-based solutions if need be. So people come to you essentially and say, hey, you know, the weird things are happening in my house. Can you come over and, and see what's going on? Yes. Interesting. Yes. We've done, we've done a few historic sites, um, but they weren't having any paranormal problems, so to speak. But the, the people that live in homes, definitely. So you're the real Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we like to be included in that. <laughs> now, how, how many, uh, but no jumpsuits, right? No jumpsuits, no uh, uh, packs where you cross the power streams and alter reality. <laughs> so, so how many? I wouldn't mind that, though. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, yeah. Now, how many uh, haunted locations have you visited? Oh, man, that, that's a hard number to come by. I believe it's more than 40. Wow. I've been involved in this for about six years. Mm -hmm. And I, I've investigated with several groups, along with Phantasm Psychic Research, before forming my own group about four years ago. So, yeah, it, it's probably more than 40 different locations. Hmm. Now, have you ever gone to one and, uh, you know, the people swear up and down weird things are happening and, and there's just, no, is, is it commonplace to go there and there's just nothing going on? Uh, my experience has been that with the private houses and mm -hmm. homes, usually there's something there. Wow. Uh, to actually, you know, lead the people to uh, call you up and, uh, you know, risk looking foolish. There's something actually behind it all. Uh, with the few historic sites I've been to, there's been a lot of hype. Hmm. You know, so, I, a couple years ahead. a couple years back, I posted something on my blog, and and uh, you know, because I was on internet radio, I don't think too many people caught it. 
But I was interviewing a gentleman who was, uh, uh, you know, basically an, uh, an exorcist, but he was a, a Protestant. And, uh, and so he, he really was um, counseling people and then he would um, uh, deliver them from uh, demonic possession. And I interviewed him for an hour and he was talking about at the end of the interview that, you know, he had been under attack and uh, and there was um, people actually Satanists or, or devil worshipers. I know he made the distinction between the two, but I can't remember what that is. But there were people in, in his neighborhood that were, you know, looking to get him because he was delivering people from their organization. And after I did that program, I came out to the living room um, because my studio is in a, in a converted bedroom, basically. And there was a scent, I kid you not, of sulfur coming in through the outside. That There was a window open. Oh. Have you ever experienced uh, uh, smells, any kind of sense of, you know, I didn't smell this per se that it was in the house, but it was coming in through the outside, which I found very interesting. Have you ever experienced a, a sulfuric smell, you know, things of that nature? Uh, not a sulfuric smell. Uh-huh. Uh, with one particular gentleman who was thought to be possessed, very much a smell like a sewer was hmm. surrounding him, like hmm. a, a fecal matter. Yeah. Um, there was another occasion during an exorcism where the room filled with a propane smell. Hmm. And we all got, you know, pretty worried about that, thinking there was a gas leak and, uh, I explored around the house, and I went outside into the yard to see if somebody was using an outdoor grill, and we couldn't find an explanation for it. Hmm. And the propane smell went away pretty quick. I think it was a, it was a diversion. It was yeah. meant to stop the stop what we were doing. So is anyone in your group, do, do any of the people in your group perform exorcisms? No, not my group, no. Mm-hmm. No, but, we we pretty much investigate, right. and we'll say prayers. We'll yeah. say prayers for the clients, uh, protected prayers. Um, we say protected prayers for ourselves before we go in, mm-hmm. uh, protected prayers for the clients, and then as we leave, a binding prayer, yeah. which will prevent the spirits from following. Now, have you ever had clients that you suspected maybe something was going on supernaturally with them, and then sort of referred them to another source? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have. I, I've directed a few clients to uh, my friend David, mm-hmm. the Phantasm Psychic Research. Um, there was a client I directed off to uh, Lorraine Warren, who came in and uh, read her situation for her. And uh, there's been a few occasions where, yeah, definitely, people with clerical contacts, uh, traditionally, you want to work through that family's faith and, and the type of church they belong to. Hmm. Interesting. Now, can you describe some of the characteristics of haunted locations that have stood out in your mind? Uh, most of the active haunted sites I've been to, there's this heavy feeling in the air. It's um, it's like a humidity, and and it can be any time during the year, even in the dead of winter. Uh, you often feel listless and tired at these places, and there'll be a chill. There'll be like this very piercing chill that might overcome you. Hmm. Um, these are the sensations that, they're all pretty subjective. They're not evidence of anything, but when I feel these things, I, I know to be more on the lookout, to be more on the alert. 
Yeah. Now, so we get to the crux of the matter, and that is what are we talking about when we talk about ghosts and haunted houses and things like that? Many people obviously have different ideas of what people are experiencing, and it sounds like people in your group even maybe don't necessarily agree with what, what they're seeing or what they're experiencing through these houses. But what's your opinion of these beings, these ghosts, these haunted houses? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's a billion theories out there. Uh, some simply blame it all on elevated electromagnetic fields and negative ions, uh, altered perceptions caused by these energy fields. Others blame activity on residual psychic energy from adolescents or people in the home. Uh, and, of course, you have people who blame it on sentient spirits, whether they be human, demonic, or or whatever other category you want to throw in there. Uh, there's evidence to support all three scenarios, but my approach is practical. To me, clients aren't lab rats to mm -hmm. study in a maze. Mm -hmm. They're people. You know, they're, they're people who are often scared by what's going on. As a researcher, I tried to discover what the entry point or event is in their lives and in that home that may cause this phenomena. I'm working from the presumption that a lot of this is sentient. And uh, most of the time, I work from the cautious viewpoint uh, with the presumption of demonic, actually, mm -hmm. from the outset. Mm -hmm. uh, entry points could be anything from the Ouija boards, uh, seances being practiced there, pendulums, uh, other occult practices, or there could be uh, an, a very dramatic or traumatic event there, a suicide, a murder there may be drug abuse, sexual abuse, or alcoholism in the home. These are all entry points to look out for. Mm -hmm. In in talking about these beings, and and you know, I personally, I, I come from it in, in as a biblical worldview, and I see these things as demonic. But I've interviewed people who think you know all sorts of different scenarios. Having said that, though. Um, are the majority of these beings uh, unfriendly? Are they are they mean spirited? Is is that part of the uh, modus operandi of these beings? I would say so. Mm -hmm. And you know that's not to frighten anyone. Like you said at the beginning, your faith is your defense, and Jesus is our ultimate power. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said. Uh, in general, I don't think people are being haunted by any six-year-old children or by their grandma right. bumping around their attic. Uh, more often than not, it's a demonic spirit, and it will disguise itself perhaps as a child hmm. or as a uh, dead loved one. It'll play mind games. It will hope to uh, break apart your family or do worse. Right. Now, this paranormal research, it's very popular right now. You, you know, you, you see paranormal shows on sci-fi. You see them on A&E. You see them on Discovery Channel. I even see them on Animal Planet. And so oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very popular, and society is watching these shows, and, and Christians are watching these shows. Do you think that society's current obsession with the paranormal, in your opinion, is that healthy or unhealthy? I would say unhealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, the core purpose of ghost hunting is something I can understand. It's a need to verify a spiritual realm, to mm -hmm. prove that death is not annihilation. 
Uh, we live in a scientific and skeptical culture, and we do need evidence for just about everything. So people want evidence for the continuance of uh, the human soul. Right. And I understand that. But the trouble with paranormal research is that most people see this realm as a playground. Right. And I see it as a minefield. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, a very dangerous minefield, full of traps, and uh, people can get destroyed there. Now, the, the Bible says we should not try to contact the dead, or it says not to work with mediums and, and that type of uh, you know contacting with the dead. Do you think that Christians should be hunting down supernatural entities? No, I don't believe it's wise for any Christian or anyone else to be hunting ghosts just mm-hmm. for the sake of hunting ghosts, right. like a hobby, like you know deer hunting. Uh, fascination with the paranormal can be a huge trap, and that's a trap I was kind of involved in for quite a few years myself. Uh, Our intent, like my group, our intent as investigators has to be focused on two different things. Delivering people from spiritual oppression and fear, and then spreading the word through evidence and testimony that these things are real. Hmm. I think as long as we emphasize those two objectives, uh, we'll, we'll be in a safe territory. Mm-hmm. And so what what do you want people to learn uh, from the research that you do? Oh, oh man, that's, uh, that's a big ticket, definitely. <laughs> uh, I would say that I would want people to take away from my research two very important things, sort of reiterating what I was saying before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spirit world is a reality. It's yeah. not just Hollywood. It's not just movies. It's not just television. Uh, secondly, we must be very careful in all things. Uh, don't experiment with the occult. Uh, one wouldn't go on a safari, you know, and hang a chunk of raw meat on their neck and walk into a lion's den. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the way people are doing things now, because as we were saying before, they, they see these spirits as six-year-old Timmy or as grandma, and they're not realizing how potentially dangerous these things can be. Right. Excellent point. You were talking about in your research, you sometimes work, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you sometimes work with psychics, right? Uh, personally, no. Okay. I, uh, I do have friends and members that believe they have psychic ability, but do they channel spirits through them or do they, uh, do they do heavy occult practices? No. Okay. They, they just, they just have like feelings that they report. Uh-huh. I'm trying to uh, clarify or, or what they're doing. They're not doing that under uh, a belief that they're Christian. Is that, is that Would that be correct? Well, there's some people that I associate with that do not have a Christian faith. Sure. And, right. uh, yeah, they, they, I potentially see them at risk. Yeah. But I'm sort of a libertarian on this regard. Uh-huh. The, the way I see it is we're going into these situations— and I have my Christian mindset and my belief and my faith. Right. And they have theirs. And if something happens to them, which is negative in nature, uh, the solution may be, come through them uh, reaching an understanding of just why this negative thing happened, uh-huh. just, just what made them vulnerable. Uh, sometimes paranormal and, and demonic attacks, they're meant to be lessons for us. They're meant to, to, like, knock us onto the right path if we're not on the right path. Mm. 
And uh, if nothing bad does happen to him, then uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles. The, the reason why I asked was because I, I have read books by um, Catholic exorcists, and I know that there are Catholic priests who are exorcists who believe they're they're psychic also. And I, you know, I personally had a problem with that from my Christian faith, as far as a priest thinking that he was right with God and and having these, you know, psychic abilities. So I'm I'm glad you clarified. I just wanted to wanted to make that clear. And so now let's listen to some of these EVPs that you've brought to the program. These are. Um, audio that you've picked up while being in these haunted houses. And the first one is called uh, Wolseley Demons. Do you want to set that one up? Yeah, this one is uh, an EVP we caught in an apartment where a former tenant of this apartment practiced some type of spirit conjuring for clients. Uh, Once again, you, you talked about the Bible forbidding this type of activity. Well, here we are. We have evidence on tape just what comes through that door when you open it. Uh, this place had cabinets open and closed, uh, knocks and taps sound th- throughout the whole apartment at night. And on one occasion, an unseen hand grabbed the leg of a little boy. Wow. Uh, these bizarre occurrences also included a raven who was electrocuted on the front porch on one of the wires leading to their house, and a small crab that mysteriously uh, crawled through the house, even though the house is several miles from the shoreline, hmm. in a heavily populated area. So, you know, these these are weird things. They're not evidence of the paranormal, but what we caught on our recordings is... Well, I got to tell you, the, these recordings, I mean, if you didn't believe in the paranormal, you will after you hear these. Uh, they're pretty bizarre. But uh, mm-hmm. l- l- let's play this one, Wolseley Demons. Wow, that that's incredible. So it sounded like there were... There was a a main voice going on, but a a lot of other strange things going on there. Yeah, like three voices and a very low moan or voice going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure what that was. Yeah. Wow. Okay, and then this is the EVP2, which is in the same apartment, and the voice says something like, suck it, go. Yeah. Okay. I heard it. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the next one, and I really think this one is the most conclusive, uh, although, you know, the, the other ones are too, but this one, the voice says, you're mine, it snarls, and then says, get out of the kitchen, and I can't repeat the... the um, right, the yeah. profane word that ends it. Yeah. <laughs> That's disturbing. Uh, okay. And some of the whispers at night we actually heard with our ears. Huh. Amazing. And there was a snarl that night, too, that sounded in the wall, and it sounded like a wildcat or a cougar. Hmm. Okay, and the EVP4, this is a home in western Connecticut? Yes. And uh, uh, what, Oh, go ahead. Okay, this home is a place where depression and despair were plaguing the tenants that were living there. A woman had actually tried to kill herself there a few years back. Uh, A black shadowy form would be seen on occasion, and doors would 
repeatedly open and shut Hmm. on their own accord. The family dog of this house uh, broke through a window on three separate occasions getting out of this home, so desperate to get out of the building. Wow. I mean, broken glass, broken wood, the whole deal. And we're going to hear your voice, and then in the middle of the sentence, there's going to be a being that says no, correct? Right. About one-third into my, what I call, religious provocation, Mm -hmm. uh, commanding the spirits to reveal themselves by the blood of Jesus, a coarse voice is going to say no. And ironically, this no revealed the spirit in its real presence, so it can say no all it wants. Hmm. (laughs) Okay, let's listen to that right now. The presence known in a non-harmful way is the blood of Christ that commands us. That is really incredible. You heard that one, right? Yes, definitely. Now, the, and this this last one is the same house, and the voice says, I will have to hurt you. Yes. Okay. I wasn't very happy at that point. I can imagine. It's almost a computer voice. I will have to hurt you, like that. Yeah, it almost sounds like a robot, doesn't it? Yeah, let me play that one more time. <laughs> You know, I've heard on other programs people who have recorded uh, other people who are allegedly possessed, and their voice modulated like a robot, like that. So that that's yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a very inhuman voice. Yeah, incredible. And uh, Jeffrey, if there's one last thought about the paranormal that we could leave with people tonight, um, any any closing words? Uh, about your research that you would want people to know, what would it be? Uh, the spirit world is very real, and it's just as real as what you see on television and in the movies. Not that all that's real, right. but uh, the reality is there. And to be very careful and not to experiment, not to fool around with it, pursue faith and goodness and, and just try to avoid this uh, this Venus flytrap we call ghost hunting. Your expertise would probably be better than mine in this matter. Do you think that it's dangerous for people to watch shows about haunted houses? You know, there is a minor risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's called giving recognition. Mm-hmm. And when you give recognition to these forces and and when they manifest, if you give recognition to this, it allows them to actually, it empowers them mm-hmm. and allows them to potentially manifest to you. Uh, I would say the risk is pretty minimal, though. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen too much. Let's just hope it doesn't happen much with this radio show. Well, we, you know, we pray that people will put their faith in Jesus Christ and that they will come to a, a saving knowledge of him and that they will realize that they have authority in the name of Jesus, that whatever comes against them tonight, and in fact, we pray that whatever comes against them tonight, whatever kind of spirit of fear tonight that that comes against them, we know that in the name of Jesus, they can be healed, they can be restored, and they can be protected from all these things that may come against them. And I'm in agreement with you on that, Jeffrey, that that God will keep people who put their faith and trust in him from these beings. We we pray that and we believe that. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. Your website, again, is Shekinah Paranormal. And hopefully we can have you back in 2011, Jeffrey. Thank you very much, Bruce. Thank you.
the new theater of the mind. The Bruce Collins Show.